Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. A warm welcome to First Move and to this. People are applauding. Let us all wait to hear from the Secretary, Department of Space and Chairman ISRO, Sri S. Somnath. Those faces say it all. Celebrations erupt across India as they become just the fourth nation to land successfully on the moon. The Chandrayaan-3 spacecraft touching down on the lunar south pole in the past hour. That They are the first nation ever to achieve that specific feat. The spacecraft captured some stunning visuals during its historic descent. Vedika Sood joins us now from New Delhi. Vedika, I can only imagine the celebrations that are going to take place tonight. Just describe what that moment being in that room was like. Well, before that, this is the moment after Julia that you can see. People here, media personnel, excitement still even half an hour after the successful uh, soft landing of Chandrayaan-3 on the lunar surface. But back to that moment, close to about 6.04 p.m. local time here in New Delhi. There was exhilaration, excitement, emotions, both inside the mission control room and in different cities across India. Millions of people would have tuned in just for that one moment. You had the Indian Prime Minister, who's currently in South Africa to attend the BRICS summit, log in virtually into that ISRO, the Indian Space Agency live telecast feed to be a part of that historic moment. You've had the Indian Prime Minister hail today as a historic day for the country, the most populous country in the world with 1.4 billion people. What's really, really something that I should point out here is the budget, relatively small compared to that of NASA's. India's annual budget for space activities is at about $1.5 billion. NASA has a staggering annual budget of $26 billion. And within that budget, India has done what no other 
country could do. They have made that soft landing a successful soft landing on the South Pole region of the, loon, of, of the moon, something that no other country has done. India has also added its names uh, to the book of countries, just three others along with India now, that has made a successful soft landing on the lunar surface. This, of course, will be quite crucial, especially the last two, uh, the next two weeks rather, will be very crucial because the rover, which is part of the lander, is now going to explore the lunar surface. It has 14 days to do this. Scientists have proved in the last few years, especially in fact going back to Chandrayaan, uh, the first time it made that landing on the moon, there was, uh, they, they had a NASA vehicle also attached to it, and that's when they realized there was water on the moon. And now for the next two weeks, the, the rover is going to explore that. It's going to try to find whether there is frozen ice on the moon. And how does this help, Julia? It helps in understanding if there'll be oxygen, water, and fuel for further missions. If the moon can be a base, for further expeditions to be carried out in space. So very crucial mission here that has been accomplished by India and that has already sent out a message through the Indian Prime Minister and through the Indian Space Agency that India today is a global space power, Julia. Absolutely. They're right up there with the biggest uh, of them all. And as you rightly point out, this is not just about landing uh, a spacecraft on the moon. This is also about sending a rover out. It's about collecting data, doing research. So there's a whole set of different angles that India is going to achieve over the um, over the coming weeks as a result of this landing and uh, share the data, I think, with, with other space powers like the United States, like Europe, like the UK, like Canada. It's, um, it's a huge moment for global space travel as well. The stakes, Vedika, as well, were that much higher given that we saw the Russians fail with their South Pole landing earlier this week, that India itself failed in, in 2019. I think we can't underscore enough, actually, how far India has come. And actually, in terms of competitive powers like Russia, like China, for example, this is a huge step forward. Oh, absolutely. And you pointed out correctly that on Sunday we heard the announcement was made by the Russians that their spacecraft, their attempt to land on the moon had failed. And of course, this is something that the Indian Space Agency was hoping wouldn't happen with their uh, lunar craft here, and they succeeded. This is a message that goes out to the world. And again, like you rightly pointed out, it is also uh, going to be vital for other nations to, to understand the data that the rover collects over the next two weeks. I just heard some firecrackers go off in one corner of this area. There are celebrations, Julia, and they'll continue for the next few days, in fact, because this is a moment that the Chandrayaan-3 team has worked so hard for. Four years since the last attempt failed. Four years on today, India is the first nation in the world to get to the South Polar region, successfully land, uh, make that soft landing on the lunar surface, and it's promising to explore the dark crevices of the lunar surface. Now, you've had other nations get to the lunar surface, closer to the equator of the moon, but you haven't had a country go into the dark side, as it's called, the South Polar region of the moon, and that's what India is doing. Now, 
Now there are dark crevices there, dark holes there, and that's what the rover will have to do. It'll have to be on an overdrive to understand the presence of frozen ice and other elements and other minerals that can be used in the future for future missions and how that can be tapped into by the world, Julia. Yes. Oh my goodness, I could keep you talking all evening, but um, you've got celebrations to attend. I can see it. There's lots of smiling faces and the buzz behind you. Incredible. Congratulations once again to India and the space teams you, behind Gina. this especially. Thank you. Vedika Sood there. Now, for more context, let's talk all about this. Joining us now is Namrati Goswami, Professor of Space Policy at Arizona State University. She also co-authored the book Scramble for the Skies, the Great Power Competition to Control the Resources of Outer Space. Namrata, fantastic to have you on the show once again. You also grew up in India, so this is a personal achievement for you, surely. What does it feel like? just watching those images and seeing the celebrations in India today. Uh, thank you, Julia, for having me. So, yeah, so you feel emotions because, as you said, I grew up in a remote area of northeast India. And so, so to see India achieve a very difficult technological feat, uh, landing on the South Pole is difficult, first of all, because we do not have terrain knowledge and so you have to get all the sensors and the radar correctly. And knowing that iSpace of Japan uh, failed in that particular mission and also Luna 25. So you feel a sense of achievement because, as you know, this was the first attempt uh, that successfully landed on the South Pole. And also because India had failed earlier in 2019 in the last few seconds. So it feels like we can now think about the missions that are going to come. For example, as you know, India is part of the Artemis Accord. And so uh, what is interesting from a strategic point of view is that this is also a win for the United States because you have now the Artemis uh, signatories with a real-time lunar landing and rover and uh, orbiter capacity. So it's a very interesting strategic moment as well. Oh, now you've done it, because we have to talk about this. I, this didn't get much coverage when Prime Minister Narendra Modi came to the United States. He met um, President Biden. He signed those accords. And that means now that data, information, knowledge, all the things that were garnered in this landing will be shared with 26 other nations, including the United States, the UK, Canada. We can name a lot of the others. This is hugely important for the future of space travel and understanding this partnership between India and other nations. It's a huge step forward, not just for India, but for all, to your point. It is. And also because China is sending a mission next year to the South Pole called the Chang'e 6 that's going to land on the South Pole, attempt to land and uh, collect samples. So as you said so correctly, that now... With India having this capability, it's going to be shared with the Artemis signatory nations, as well as what is most important is that the Artemis Accords themselves talk about understanding the lunar surface, space resource utilization missions. And so uh, the, Luna, the uh, Chandrayaan-3 has a test or a scientific experiment on the rover that's going to study the moon's elements, for example, titanium aluminium, iron or silicon, and if that is confirmed, that furthers our knowledge in terms of how the moon can be used as a pit stop for deep space mission. So it's extremely critical, both from a scientific, strategic, and also for the Artemis, uh, the Artemis signatory nations. So 
I am excited uh, for what I see. It also says a lot about India. I mean, we were just listening to um, our reporter, Vedika Sood, talk about the uh, relative sizes of space budgets between India and nations like the United States, too. And actually, I was looking at the cost even of this mission, yeah. the Trangayan 3, and it cost around $75 million. I mean, it sort of blows my mind that we've managed to bring the cost so low. I know it's a lot of money, but it's, it's, it's astonishing. And it also shows um, sort of indigenously how India's managed to build space systems of its own, be it the rover that's now going to go out, the collection of the data and the experiments that they're doing. I mean, in the isolation, it says a great deal for what India's achieved here on a relatively low budget. It does also because uh, if you look at the NASA budget, for example, just the space launch system, it's $4 billion. And the Artemis mission overall will cost the U.S. taxpayer about $94 billion. So the fact that India is able to achieve a lunar landing with $75 million means that we now have a cost-effective, much more sustainable capability to get to the moon. And so if you want to think about long-term missions, if you want to think about establishing a research base, which the Artemis Accords hopes to achieve now in collaboration with the other signatory, the fact that India has this capability and that it is so cost-effective is going to bring down the cost of lunar missions and make it sustainable. And also, very importantly, it offers a capability that is real-time. So as I said before, this is something that needs to be emphasized, that the only nation that had this capability before India succeeded was China with a real-time operational capability and autonomous docking and landing. And so now India has it too in the 21st century. We know the U.S. did it in the 20th century, but hasn't demonstrated such capacity yet. And so to say, uh, so the important point is, uh, the U.S. Uh, commercial lunar payload services, they are behind schedule. I know Intuitive Machine is going in November, but the fact that India as an Artemis Accord signatory succeeded is actually a big strategic win for United States diplomacy as well. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on that. I mean, Modi clearly sees this as a strategic opportunity at this moment. I think he wants to increase the uh, private sector share of um, the launch market by, isn't it fivefold, I think, over the next decade? Can you see that happening? Yeah, because if you look at uh, the space policy that India put out this year, uh, the Indian Space Policy 2023, you can see that the Modi government, also the Department of Space and the Indian Space Research Organization, has actually done something extremely unthinkable, uh, given India's history of very state-funded space programs. They want to make the entire space ecosystem private. And to, and to also use that privatization to build much more deeper relationship with the United States, including in its lunar missions. So I think with India's success now, what is going to happen is that the privatization push, the uh, conceptualization of space missions from a commercial perspective is going to get a huge boost. The Indian Space Research Organization put out a press release last year in which the aim is to contribute about 9% to the global economy, which is today about $400 billion. But then this will now also include concepts like lunar resources. India is also interested in a resource called helium-3. We already know water ice is now going to be confirmed. And so that's going to also add to the entire lunar resource economy. So I see India actually privatizing its entire space missions as we go forward in the next 10 years. 
Wow. I mean, it's interesting when I listen to that, I think it's not just even about hopefully finding um, water capabilities to build a camp on the moon, but also perhaps uh, resources that could fuel a rocket to go on somewhere else if you can uh, if you can find the right um, elements and resources on the moon itself. It's, it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, as, as Prime Minister Modi beamed in there from the BRIC summit, I couldn't help thinking again about the geopolitics, the fact that uh, Russia obviously had their failure uh, earlier this week, their sort of capabilities in space perhaps in some way folding into China's ambitions. And you mentioned um, their hopes for a, a launch in, in 2024 specifically. You've got India signing up to the Artemis Accords. We are seeing the spatial uh, dividing lines, I think, emphasised more and more. What does this mean for Russia and, and how do you see this sort of divide playing out? So uh, for Russia, the Luna 25 mission had deep strategic implications. One was that it would show to the world that Russia still has the space capability that it historically had with the Soviet Union to go to the moon with Luna 24. The second important implication for Russia was for Putin's legitimacy. So the fact that Russia has signed an agreement with China to go to the moon together. Uh, they called it the International Lunar Research Station. So to showcase that Russia also has the capability to land on the moon increases Russia's bargaining position. Now, space is hard. As we know, failures are not uncommon. But uh, having said that, the fact that they could not uh, control the propulsion system and uh, ensure that it landed in the right uh, elliptical orbit to land correctly tells you that China is far ahead of Russia in terms of lunar landing capability in the 21st century. What this does is that now with India landing uh, successfully, it showcases that the strategic alignment for which particular regime or system will actually create the norms, the governing structures for a lunar resource economy is going to get very much clear. So if you look at China's ambitions, they want to establish their own legal mechanisms for how the moon is going to be governed. Russia is a part of it. Venezuela just joined. Pakistan has said that it is interested in joining the China-led lunar capability building. So with India succeeding and part of the Artemis Accord, it becomes clear that a democratic space order is also plausible, given the fact that they have actually real-time operational capability. It also improves India's bargaining position, for example, at BRICS, as uh, Prime Minister Modi is there. So India comes across as a space power with capability to land on a celestial body, and so that improves India's position as well. And, by, and also, fascinatingly, India has actually, in June this year, very clearly decided that it wants to collaborate with a U.S.-led lunar mission called the Artemis Accord, as I mentioned. And so the alignments are getting very clear. So it, it's a very interesting time. And finally, I'll say that with India-China border conflict and the fact that there were escalation at the border, deaths of Indian security personnel, and the fact that Russia at the same time was getting closer and closer to China, created the incentive also for India to clearly decide on which side it wants to be. So all this is going to now play out in this new rush to the moon that we see. It's fantastic to have you on once again, Namrata Goswami. Thank you so much, Professor of Space Policy at Arizona State University. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Welcome back to First Move. Russian President Vladimir Putin criticizing the West during a fiery speech at the BRICS summit in Johannesburg. He says the West's desire to maintain its global dominance led to the war in Ukraine. It's day two of the summit and there are two big issues at play, whether to expand BRICS to more countries and how to create a trading system that wouldn't rely so much on the U.S. dollar. David McKenzie joins us now from Johannesburg. No shortage of ambition there. I tell you what, Prime Minister Modi is going to be spending, I think, the rest of the summit with a big grin on his face after their space feats that were achieved today, David. But it is part of the broader point and a sort of power battle for leadership over these big nations and a differing opinion, I think, over how other nations should join, when and what conditions should be attached. Well, they actually mentioned the possible lunar landing before it happened. There was a round of applause from the room and smiles from uh, Prime Minister Modi, I think, though, things are going to come rapidly back to earth here with these very difficult discussions that I'm sure are happening, in particular between India and China. They are considered the, the big brothers, as it were, of this grouping economically. And yes, they are trying to look to expand BRICS beyond its core five members. You had that uh, screed from the Russian president at the beginning of that um, session, obviously, beaming it in remotely, and that was quite an ironic moment in a way, Russia saying that it has this important place in the world, but yet the president of Russia can't set foot on South African soil because of a potential arrest, uh, because of his ICC warrant of arrest linked to the war in Ukraine. They will be discussing over the next few hours a press conference that was scheduled for later today is cancelled. Any news on expansion of BRICS, which different members have different views on, will come, I think, into Thursday. Uh, the business community has played a very big part in these discussions. And at its core, BRICS is an economic grouping. Much of the talk, Julia, has been about moving away from Western powers and the World Bank and IMF in the, the view of some of these members. I spoke to the global head of the uh, BRICS Business Council and I asked her, uh, is this talk 
potentially going to ostracize critically important trade partners in the EU and the US. The trade with uh, the US and the European Union is vital for many countries in Africa. How is it important and will it be possible to straddle both China's interests and those of the US and Europe? Well, I, that's not the sense that I got from the presentations from the president of um, China. But most certainly, as a South African, I want to protect the trade that we have with the U.S. because we are at the moment um, trading in high-value-added products with our partners in the U.S. and our partners in the European Union. And those are significant uh, trading partners for South Africa and business has been absolutely clear in informing our government that that trade is very important to us. It's not a binary equation in my mind. Um, we want the opportunity, especially for an economy that's at growing at such an anemic rate as ours is. One of the key takeaways, I think, from a business perspective at the summit has been China openly saying that they are wanting to have a less extractive relationship with South Africa and possibly other countries. You'll remember, Julia, that for years China has been criticized of just taking raw materials from the continent and not finished products. There's an enormous trade imbalance between African nations, particularly South Africa and China. Whether they can put the money where their mouth is is a different story, but it is fascinating uh, that these uh, very real discussions are happening that could alter the way that the global powers do business in the years to come. Julia? Yes, I think the response should be actions speak louder than words and perhaps they could start with some of the opacity surrounding the debt. But we can uh, reconvene on that conversation. D David McKenzie there. Thank you. Former Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani is heading to Georgia, where he's set to surrender to Fulton County authorities. He's being charged as a co-conspirator in a sprawling indictment against 19 people, including former President Donald Trump, for efforts to overturn the 2020 election. In the past hour, Giuliani struck a defiant note as he left his home in New York. Take a listen to what he told reporters. I don't know if I plead today, but if I do, I plead not guilty. And I get photographed, isn't that nice? A, a mugshot for the man who probably put the worst criminals of the 20th century in jail. You find a prosecutor who has a better record of mine in the last hundred years, I bet you don't, or a mayor. And they're, gonna, they're going to they're gonna degrade themselves by doing a mugshot of me. Like people won't recognize me. And now of course they can fingerprint me, but I've been fingerprinted 150 times, so. This will turn out exactly like the FBI search turned out. They're lying. I'm telling the truth. And Caitlin Palance joins us from outside the courthouse in Fulton County, Georgia, where, of course, Rudy Giuliani is headed. Caitlin, I'm sure you listened to the whole of that when he spoke. He firmly aligned himself with the former president. No questions asked. He is doing that, although, Julia, it is going to be a very intense day for Rudy Giuliani, where he is essentially by himself uh, with the help of a friend, Bernie Carrick, the former police commissioner in New York City, that is going to be traveling with him. He has some others in his entourage, a Georgia lawyer, to help him through the day. But as one of the 19 defendants here, there are things that each of them have to do to respond to this criminal indictment in Georgia. And what Rudy Giuliani has on his dance card for the day is getting in from New York to Georgia to Atlanta, getting into the courthouse 
complex and then negotiating with prosecutors on what his bond terms should be. It's already highly unusual that he would be doing that. Every other defendant in this case that has come through, more than half of the 19 have come through this process to have their bond agreements set before they report to jail. None of them, as far as we can tell, personally showed up at the courthouse to be part of those initial discussions, but he seems to want to be part of it here. And then after that takes place, same day, instead of spacing this out a little bit, giving himself a breather as a criminal defendant, he wants to go to jail uh, the same day and be arrested, have his mugshot taken, be fingerprinted, all of the things that will happen in that jail just as there have been six others processed here in this case who spent some time at the jail here in Fulton County already. And so we're watching to see all of this play out for Rudy Giuliani. Our understanding is that his intention is he wants to be done in doing all of this process in Georgia before the attention turns to the only person in this case more famous than Giuliani is, and that would be Donald Trump, who is set to arrive tomorrow. Caitlin, thank you so much for that. And we just learned uh, Kenneth Chesborough, another defendant in the case, has surrendered at the county jail in Fulton County. He was the architect of the fake electors plot or accused of such. Caitlin, once again, thank you. OK, straight ahead. Building a bigger bricks, the five-member nation block is considering expanding its ranks. But will a bigger bricks be a better bricks? And what's the overarching purpose of the bricks anyway? Expect analysis and the summit continues just ahead. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show, like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Welcome back to First Move. And U.S. stock markets are open for business this Wednesday, a higher start to the trading day, despite fresh concerns about the health of the U.S. consumer from sneaker giant Foot Locker, the latest retailer to warn on sales softness. Investors also awaiting important earnings later in the day from AI chipmaker NVIDIA. In the meantime, Russian President Vladimir Putin touting the rising influence, quote, of the five BRIC nations at their summit in South Africa Wednesday. The geopolitical bloc established back in 2009 was expanded in 2010 and created to help advance the interests of nations not traditionally aligned with the West. But agreeing on common policies has been a challenge, to say the least, especially in light of Russia's war in Ukraine. And speaking with one voice will only grow harder if the BRIC expands their ranks. Ideas also being discussed at this year's summit, a common BRICS reserve currency and even a BRICS Games to rival next year's Paris Olympics. Lofty goals, 
what's the reality? Harsh Pant joins us now. He's the Vice President of Studies and Foreign Policy at the Observator Research Foundation. He's also a Professor of International Relations at the India Institute at King's College London. Harsh, fantastic to have you on the show. It's a group that struggled, I think, in the past for coherence in terms of what the vision is, how they all piece together, despite their vast size in terms of population. What are they at this moment as they perhaps look to expand? Uh, I think uh, they are uh, still struggling to find a common vision. And the challenge for them is that at a time when all these five nations are at very different stages of their economic development, uh, how do you get together and frame a global response uh, is, is a question that almost all these countries are grappling with. And they have very different aspirations from the present global order, especially the, the, the big ones like China, India, Russia, Russia and China wanted, wanting to create a relatively anti-West platform uh, out of BRICS and India and others resisting that uh, orientation. So I think the challenge has only mounted as BRICS has perhaps become a brand uh, that has been uh, much in recognition with 40 odd members, for example, uh, as we are told, have applied for its membership. But as the brand has grown, I think if you look at the accomplishments, they've been very limited apart from the new development bank that was created. And that has done reasonably well. But I think apart from that, there has been nothing much uh, to showcase. And therefore, the challenge going forward is only going to grow uh, as these five countries struggle to get around uh, and get, get a consensus on a common vision and a common agenda. The perfect illustration, I think, of the battle that you're talking about, the ideological battle among many others, is uh, the success of India and Prime Minister Narendra Modi today with that lunar landing and the failure um, of Russia earlier this week. And that I think the ideological difference is perhaps in who you add at this moment and who they stand behind in terms of nations. We're, we're at a point, I think, where China and India would like to be seen as the, the leader of the, of the global south. And that representation and the direction, I think that takes the global south, but also the world potentially, and the relationships around the world is critical at this moment. Uh, yes, absolutely. And India, for example, this year also holds the presidency of the G20. So the G20 summit is, uh, is coming up uh, early next month. And India has pivoted uh, around uh, its presidency around this idea of global south and uh, projecting the agenda of the global south on, the glo on various global platforms. So I think at the moment, what we are witnessing is India trying to evolve into a global leader, into a leader that is perhaps more of a responsible stakeholder uh, than, say, China, which is seen as a more of a disruptor. And in, and in that battle, I think you see some of the tensions that are emerging within BRICS, that BRICS, which, which wants to expand, uh, but under whose terms and who, who is going to decide the parameters. This is what India is asking. And China is very keen to expand without defining those parameters. So I think uh, the expansion is likely to happen, but expansion will happen very gradually, unlike what China has often demanded, because of this resistance from not only India, but also countries like Brazil and South Africa, which want clearer demarcation of the standards and principles for expansion. But also you see this dissonance between the uh, varying economic capacities of uh, different nations within BRICS. You talked about, uh, you know, India's lunar landing and Russia's failure earlier uh, on, on that front. Again, juxtaposing that there is also a balance of power issue within BRICS. 
which is yet to be re- yet to be resolved in a manner that can make BRICS a more of a cohesive organization. So I think the challenges are there, uh, and the attempt would be at least in this summit to paper over those differences and come out with a joint statement that talks about future, that talks about some of the opportunities that exist as a large part of the world seeks to move beyond the binaries of great power politics. But how successful BRICS would be, that remains to be seen. Yeah. How gradually? Can you define gradually in terms of the addition of new members? And to your point, is there enough trust among these individuals to put further backing behind the new development bank to talk about the prospect of utilising some form of common currency for, for trade relations? Is there enough trust? That is, I think, the fundamental issue. And I think many uh, have argued that first, BRICS needs uh, needs to build internal cohesion, internal trust amongst the five members before it can expand uh, and before it can bring in other members into the fold. Because unless there is there is trust, and, and we are talking to, we live in an age where uh, trust is an essential variable, even when we talk of issues like supply chains and economic partnerships. Therefore, uh, political trust is becoming very, very important. And for especially between India and China, the trust levels have almost disappeared. So it would be very interesting to see how India engages with China on BRICS uh, and how it goes forward. But I think that that remains an essential question. And therefore, uh, the the expansion of BRICS is going to be very, very gradual. Perhaps a few countries would be announced this year. uh, 40 have applied, apparently. But I think not more than four to five countries are likely to be admitted in the first round. And as this process moves forward, it is going to be an even uphill battle for BRICS to create a consensus because this is a consensus-based organization. And if you increase the members, if you increase uh, partners, then to have consensus in a, in a larger grouping is going to be even more difficult. So therefore, I think uh, the, you know, the, the countries are going to, are going to move forward gingerly. But really, the challenges have only just begun because I think the the international environment has changed completely and is evolving in in a direction that perhaps many would not uh, have liked a few years back. And especially India, which wants to have strong ties with the West to manage China. India finds itself in a particularly difficult situation in in balancing some of these very difficult trends that we are witnessing in global politics today. Yes, well put. Um, I can't help but notice you're coming to us from New Delhi. Are you a space fan, Harsh? Will you be celebrating I, the space I, achievements? <laughs> I, I think it is It is one of those moments in India where, uh, you know, uh, uh, almost the entire country stands together and space has been for long, um, you know, a frontier which India Indians have looked forward, especially young Indians. They look forward to India's achievements in that in that you know in that domain, and I think a lot, uh, almost the entire country was eagerly uh, looking at the live telecast of, of the landing of uh, of Chandra and uh, on the moon. So I think it's it's it's, it's a proud moment for India and Indians, but I think it's also a proud moment for for a large part of the world that has seen collective enterprise moving in a direction where we can look at space. Uh, and and look at moon and other uh, other actors in this in, in this wider domain for the benefit of larger mankind so i think that's the vision behind india's chandrayaan and and i hope that's the vision behind the other space activities that are going on in other parts of the world as well yes hopefully good for humanity thank you india for your efforts harsh i hope you'll be celebrating tonight lovely to chat to you sir thank you harsh panther the vice president of studies and foreign policy at the observer research foundation and professor of international relations at king's college london india institute and finally what's tall 
and tan and stands in a league all of her own. I can tell you, the newest addition to Bright's Zoo in Tennessee, a spotless giraffe was born at the end of July and made her public debut just a few days ago. She's cute. The calf is actually a reticulated giraffe, a species native to the Horn of Africa. And zoo officials say she might be the only solid coloured calf of her kind living anywhere on the planet. The zoo's founder says the little one is putting a much-needed spotlight on giraffe conservation. Data shows only 16,000 reticulated giraffes remain in the wild. Now the spotless superstar just needs a name. The zoo's letting fans vote for their favourite. The winning one will be announced next month. It won't be spot. Be mistaken for a horse, actually, there. Very cute. Anyway, that's it for the show. World Sport is next. I'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.